So to to kind of give a bigger background, so financially, I was not very good with money. Um, I had my daughter when I was 17, wrapping up my junior year of school. Didn't really even know about how to manage my money. I went through a divorce about five years ago. And through the divorce, found out that I had spent a lot more money racking up credit card debt than I knew. So literally, I, I was like in a panic when I went through the divorce, found out how much credit card debt I had. You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Welcome back to another episode of the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast. This is episode number 196. Clark, how's it going? What's going on in your world? Going well. We're getting close to 200 here, and we promised an episode with somebody worth 200 million, but then we interviewed him and he was worth 300 million. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So and the funny thing is, for the 300th episode, yeah. just launch him anyway. Yeah, we're just going to launch him. It's, it's a great interview. He was very gracious <laughs> with his time, but yeah, it, I'm excited for that interview to, to, to launch it and kind of get the, you know, a lot of our millionaires are, for the most part, are under 10. And I think it's it's pretty well known that those that get to that decamillionaire status either in, in most cases either had a significantly high income or had ownership in some sort of business, whether it was their own or or, or some something else, you know, IPO stock or something else, uh, you know, private company that got bought or whatever. And so it, it's a phenomenal episode with with him. I'm real excited, and we won't reveal too much yet, but definitely something to look forward to and. You know, we may just have to have him on at the 300th one or maybe the four. I don't know. You know, he may, he, he may be on several times over those, you know, based on where he's probably headed. Yeah. Yeah. Every hundredth episode, you just have him on again. <laughs> yeah. He's probably, he's probably well on his way to, to, to getting there. Um, but yeah, super excited for that, uh, in the pipeline. And obviously we've got, we've got a couple cool things coming up. We're going to be doing, a some live, uh, interviews, I guess next month. You know, and, and and doing a couple different things with the show uh, for that, which I'm super excited about. And uh, we got a lot of a lot of great things in the pipeline, don't we, Clark? For the next, I guess, yeah, and other guys and, coming up with a hundred million too. So yeah, uh, she, she has a really interesting story and, and it's fun insight, different perspective, a little bit as well. Yeah, totally. But like always, we're always looking for for more millionaires. If you're interested in being on the show, we've got a unique story. You know, reach out to us. We'd love to to have you on. Uh, you know, continue to, to continue to bring this content and, you know, these unique stories and getting broad perspectives all over the place. Sometimes I don't know that when, you know, Hey, we can't relate to the guy that's here or there or whatever, but I think there's definitely bits and pieces that we can learn from, from each of them and potentially apply in our own lives. So definitely yeah, yeah for sure. excited for all those. Clark, you were telling me a little bit before the show about something that you've been kind of experimenting with uh, as it relates to your Roth. Yeah, so I thought this was interesting. I was just looking at this today. So a couple years ago, I invested. Uh, Fidelity has four now. I, I believe it's still four. Maybe maybe they've added another, but they had four zero fee index funds. So they had a large cap, a total stock market, an extended market, and an international in, all index funds that were zero fee funds through Fidelity. And so a couple of years ago, I think this was like April 2019 or so in my Roth, I, I invested the $6,000 and I put 1500 into each of them. 
in each of the four. And I, I just thought, okay, it's going to be interesting to track this over time here. And I know I'm going to get nailed on international, but let's just see how, how this goes. So this is two years and three months or so in. I put in 1500 in each. The large cap has about 2300 The total stock market has about 2300 Those two are about the same. The extended market, 2100 And then the international, 1900 So international is about 30% behind the uh, large cap index fund already in a, in a couple of years here. So anyway, my take on international is it's no good. Dump it. So I'm, <laughs> I'm not a bit. Yeah, I just think you get exposure to international when you're using a total stock market or a large cap or a NASDAQ or, you know, you're, you're investing in some of these other index funds. I think you get exposure. So I'm not a believer of the 25% international. I, I don't. I don't think that's sound. Yeah, it's it's interesting bringing it up. We've talked about it with with a few guests, you know, in terms of the exposure. And I think you're right as we become more of this global economy. I, you know, I think we could probably go down the Fortune 500, maybe even the Fortune 1000, and every single one of those companies is going to have some sort of international business or international exposure, whether it's supply chain related or, you know, actually doing trade overseas, have offices overseas. I think it's inevitable that that's the case. So you're right. I mean, there's definitely plenty of exposure to the international game in in you know total stock market index fund, right? And yeah, I think and that's going to continue. Big companies, right? Like Nestle, Alibaba. You have yeah. a bunch of these now Chinese like electric vehicle startups that are coming. So I mean, there's good exposure there that you're not going to get obviously in an S and P 500 or a large cap in the U S. But I just think if you invest instead of 25% international, I would just go 25% extended or 25% total market or world, you know, and, and I, I don't see the reason just to go 25% international, but are you going to keep those funds opinion. like that to, to do the experiment for all of our listeners? Say it again. Are you going to, are you going to pump and dump the, the international? Are you going to keep them in there to. Oh no, I'm just going to keep getting nailed watching over the next <laughs> 30 years. And- <laughs> How much you paying your advisor for that? when it cost me thirty thousand dollars in in uh 20 years i'm gonna everybody can cut me a bill so i can tell them how how it went yeah it's gonna be uh you're gonna be staring at your tesla looking at hey that was the experiment right there in international that i that i invested yeah. in and shouldn't have <laughs> i'm gonna say shoot i could have bought one of these for my wife no you'll still buy one for her too <laughs> <laughs> oh man good stuff yeah, anyway, this week we've got Justin. He's 32. He works in retail. He has a net worth of just over $500,000. 37% in a brokerage account, 26% in his 401k, and 12% in cash. 28% is in equity in his primary residence. Justin has a phenomenal story of working his way up into retail and eventually becoming a store manager in his early 30s and building wealth. And like we mentioned a few times before on the podcast, we like to bring on some of these that aren't quite at a million, but we definitely see that they're well on their way and, and, and just track them and have, you know, I think a few episodes ago, we had Taylor come back on the show and, you know, he started and it was 500, like, I don't know, a year and a half ago or whatever. And then he hit that status, millionaire status, and we were able to kind of bring him back on and have that discussion of, you know, what, what happened from that. 500 mark to a million mark and kind of track his portfolio and it'll be real interesting especially with him and some of these younger ones that will be able to have some of this you know insight into what they've done year over year over year over year from the time they were in their early 30s or 20s or whatever and 
to really kind of grow with them in a way to see them go from 500 to a million to 2 million, 5 million or wherever they go. So super excited to have Justin on the show today. Last week's episode, we had Logan. He's a nurse anesthetist and a real estate investor. The net worth of 3.75 million is primarily in real estate and he's built mainly most of it in the last four to five years. He's got an extraordinary journey to, to getting where he, where he is today. Some crazy stories about waking up super early. And, and getting, you know, some of these real estate leads and then going and working his, his normal job during the day. Once again, we'd love to, to have you engage with our millionaires online on millionairesunveiled.com. There's uh, also a question. If you've got a question that you'd like to ask our millionaires, uh, you can go into our speak pipe program there, or you can write into us at millionairesunveiled at gmail.com and we'll get uh, those questions out to, to some of our millionaires so that we can have some live discussion on air. Once again, we've got several uh, real estate deals coming in the pipeline too. If you're interested, reach out to us. Um, we're super excited for several of them. It's been kind of a crazy market the last couple of years, but we're, we're definitely getting excited for, for some of these coming in the pipeline. If you're interested, reach out to us. Again, millionairesunveiled at gmail.com. Without any further delay, let's get into the episode today with Justin. Justin, do you want to just give us a little bit about your background and what you're up to now? Yeah, so I'm 32 years old. I'm currently a retail worker who uh, the past 13 years has worked their way up the chain uh, to become a store manager. I discovered the fire movement probably about five years ago during a big change in my life. And it's kind of landed me to, to where I'm at now in a different mindset and frame of uh, developing goals for myself. Awesome. And what is your net worth today? My net worth is around 500000 And what is the breakup of that five hundred k? So 37% of it would be in like an individual brokerage account, which is about 190000 I've got 401k, which is about 26% of my net worth. And then I have about 12% of that in cash. I'm holding about 62000 And then 28% of that I'm counting as the equity that I have in my house. And, and the money that you have in your 401k and your brokerage, how is that invested? Is that in stocks, bonds, mutual funds, a mix? Um, so my 401k, I have it set up that it's currently invested in a bunch of indexes. So the Russell index 1000, a target retirement account, the Russell 2000 and the large cap and the, some smaller things. And then my Charles Schwab accounts, I have an IRA, which is about 27,000 of that 190. And then the bulk of it is in a dividend account. So I just started buying dividend stocks that I really like with the goal in mind of creating cash flow for myself. And then I had about three years ago when I started, I put a bunch of money in some growth stocks before I kind of discovered dividend investing. And then I just got like a thousand dollars in one account that I used to like teach and train my daughter around money. So the bulk of it lies in dividend stocks. And that's been my main interest is to try to replace my paycheck with cash flow in the future. Yeah, interesting. How come you've chosen dividend stocks as as the method for doing that versus maybe a real estate or business or something else? So for me, it just became really interesting. I had a boss that was really hard on me when I worked for him and gave me a lot of leadership lessons around money. And basically, it told me the more I invest now, the more I save now, the more it'll save me later. And I didn't really understand what he was saying for the longest time. And as I continued to work for him for about two and a half years, he continued to give me a little bit of lessons here and there and talk about stock flips and things that he did. And then I ended up just randomly searching some stuff on YouTube and came across a couple different videos on dividend investing and absolutely fell in love with the idea of it. 
to replace my paycheck with dividends. So I've kind of set my accounts up now that the bulk of my money is in dividend accounts, except for my IRA, my gross stocks, and then my 401k. So the goal would be to replace my passive income to build that account up to let me replace my paycheck. So then that way, like my IRA can continue to grow, my 401k can continue to grow, and then I'll look at spending that money later on in life. But the biggest goal for me is to be able to have financial freedom. And I was amazed at the idea of dividend investing to replace my my income. Yeah, no, that's awesome. So it's pretty remarkable, Justin, especially, you know, given the environment we're in, you've been in retail, worked your way up now into management to build this net worth. When did it all start and, and how have you accumulated a half million dollars by the by the time you're in your early thirties? So to to kind of give a bigger background, so financially I was not very good with money. Um I had my daughter when I was seventeen, wrapping up my junior year of school. Didn't really even know about how to manage my money. I went through a divorce about five years ago and through the divorce found out that I had spent a lot more money racking up credit card debt than I knew. So Literally, I I was like in a panic when I went through the divorce, found out how much credit card debt I had. It was around $15,000 together um, with my ex-wife. So during the split, I took about $1,000 and left her everything um, and kind of started over from scratch. And then during that time, I kept talking to this boss that I had that was a great mentor about money. And he kept telling me, you know, lifestyle creep. He'd seen many people, you know, work their way up and in the field that we're in get to be a store manager, get a larger incentive, but then blow that incentive every single year on a bigger house or a luxury car or a boat um, or a vacation home or whatever it was. So the time that I worked for him, he kept telling me, got to invest your money, got to invest your money. I started off with my 401k, um, put in the 6% match that my company offered at the time, and then worked on paying down all my debt. So I paid off all my credit cards using the snowball method. Eventually ended up getting a home. And then after I got in my home and kind of got what I needed, I started working on paying off my car. So I paid off my car. Then afterwards, I didn't really know what I wanted to invest or even how to invest or sort of buying my company stock. And I just literally threw as much as I could afford every single pay period into it. Uh, about six months later, I decided that I needed to sell that stock because I was sitting on about a $5,000 gain. So I sold that stock. Um, took the $5,000 gain that I had to fund my first IRA and then took the rest of the money, threw it into a savings account and then uh, literally just invested in the index. Um, so VOO, the S&P 500 through Vanguard, rolled into the next year, January 1st, wrote a check to myself, deposited it, started my IRA for the next year, maxed that. And then my next incentive kind of came around. Um, I'd got stuff kind of settled at the house and I just build a goal to uh, save as much money as I could. So the last time I had done the math, I was up to saving about 70% of what I make. And I live off of about less than 30000 a year. My base salary right now is probably about one hundred and two. So everything that I can do to save money is, is what I've done. So building up my accounts. And then I found a book, The Millionaire Next Door. And started to read through that and then seeing all these people's different investing styles. So I just continued to get involved with reading different books and looking at different things. Uh, started picking some individual stocks and then eventually ended up landing on setting my heart on just dividend stocks. And then recently with COVID, have taken a huge hit in my portfolio. 
on some of the smaller cap stuff that I've owned. So I've really focused more on trying to build up some indexes to help smooth out that ride. Yeah, no, it's a pretty remarkable story. So just for context for our listeners, how old were you when you went through the divorce? I was about 27. Wow. So really, you built all this up in five years? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, when I went back and looked in 2017, my net worth was about $32,000. And then my first 100K came at March of 2018. And then earlier this year in January, it cracked 400000 And then when we went through the downturn, I'd never try to time the market. You know, nobody can do that. So I ended up selling all the company stock that I had again because they give us a discount every year to buy so much. So I sold all that on March 19th. I got my check on the 22nd, had it deposited on the 23rd, which was almost the bottom of the market. And then I bought as many shares of uh, the S&P 500 through Vanguard as I could. So VOO again, um, put all that money in there. And then that's helped me get a sizable gain and balance on my portfolio from the hit I took from that initial spot. Wow. And how much were you down at the time when the market kind of bottomed out then? Uh, about 100000 it was kind of hard to watch. My net worth kind of hit 400000 in January, feeling really good, seeing it scale up a little bit in February. Then I kept watching it go down. But I had the mindset from reading the book by Tony Robbins called Unshakable that every time the stock market would go down 5%, I was going to the bank, moving money around from one of my credit union accounts to my checking account to write myself a check to deposit in my Charles Schwab account because I knew that I had to capitalize on it. And I probably held too much cash back because I didn't know if it was going to be another 2008, 2009 where we'd have a longer downturn. Um, so I just kept deploying the money in about every 5%. I'd write a check for five or $10,000 to myself, deposit in my swab account, and then look at the positions that I wanted to buy in on. There were some positions I didn't have that I bought during the downturn that were like dividend aristocrats. So I really just focused during that downturn about keeping my mind in the right frame that I need to buy, buy, buy because it's a great sale. And maybe one of the best sales of my lifetime. So, Justin, talk about the evolution of your strategy. So, originally, my strategy was buying stocks that I thought would make me good money. Um, so, I know that I was for a long time looking at stocks that had bad news. So, uh, General Mills was one of the ones that I bought. They paused their dividend when they bought Blue Buffalo. The stock took a hit. And so I just decided to buy in. I'd been in retail a long time. General Mills had a lot of products. They expanded into buying Blue Buffalo, which I thought was a good investment. So I threw money in there. UPS, I seen bad news on that. I remember it was probably like two years ago. The stock fell below $100. I thought that was crazy and started buying up as much as I could. And then really, I looked at like dividend aristocrats or things that I had felt comfortable with and just trying to build an overall position of diversity the best that I could. And then sometimes I've sold stuff that I've bought um, after it's made a certain gain. But now I'm kind of not as antsy now that I'm in my fourth year of investing here of just trying to buy and hold and, and ride it out as an investor and stop trying to be a trader. Yeah. So talk about that as, as you go forward here in the future. What what are some of those goals? Uh, I think for me right now with just the volatility that we've seen in the market, I'm just buying a lot more indexes that I did previously. So one of the goals that I've had every year is I write down like 10 or 15 stocks that I'm going to track. And then every quarter I go back and look at them. I think 15 is too much. So I'm probably going to scale back to to 10 or maybe even eight. And then I need to get my portfolio into a position that I'm probably about 60% index and then about 40% individual stocks. So if there's another downturn like this as I get later in life and I'm hoping to be living off of this passive income, 
uh, maybe have to work a part-time job to help supplement whatever it is um, through financial freedom. But I really want to balance my portfolio out with some more indexes to balance out what the market is because some of my individual stocks that I picked, one of my biggest ones I'm down 40% on right now. And that was a big dividend payer for me, but they suspended their dividend currently because it was a hotel company. So, Wow. So do you have an age that you're trying to hit this by? My goal has always kind of been 40 to walk away from maybe a really stressful job or do something part-time. Um, I haven't really put an age in there. I know my goal would be to get my passive income around 35000 40000 a year. And then that way, my growth stocks could still continue to grow. My IRA could continue to grow. And my goal was, as I get closer to that retirement amount, um, and maybe I don't want to work anymore, that growth account of some of those key stocks that I have, I was going to sell and then move that into cash just to have about a year's worth of expenses on the side. So if the market turns down, um, all my stocks and the dividends, I can just allow them to keep reinvesting without selling anything and try to balance out some of that volatility. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting the discussion to have with you, just given that you're so young, you've got so much ahead of you. The trajectory of your portfolio is, you know, going to turn into a rocket ship here pretty soon, obviously, with compounded interest. And it, it's, it's pretty cool. I want you to give our listeners a little bit of context around the, the spreadsheet tracker that you've built and you use, uh, you know, on a quarterly basis for yourself. Yeah, so I sent a spreadsheet that I use and it, it literally started off with just a monthly expense column and I'd key in all my monthly expenses. And then when I discovered more of the fire and I got more into it about how you need to have 25 times your annual expenses. I created a spreadsheet that literally I just came the monthly column. It'll tell me what my year trajectory is. It'll tell me what my fire amount is. And then to the side of that, I'll put in like my checking account balance, saving account balance, my swab account balance, 401k, and then that'll give my total net worth. And then below that, it tracks all my expenses and then it'll give me a total fire number that I need. It attracts my total net worth and gives me a projection of how much more I have to go. And then below that, it's got columns of like fire in five years, seven years, 10 years, 12 years. So how much money I'd have to save. And then I built another part of the spreadsheet that tracks all my dividend stocks. So I can literally key in what stock it is, when they pay a dividend, how much the dividend is. And that gives me my projected cash flow. And then it gives me a total adjusted cash flow by the end of the year. So like currently my cash flow is around seven thousand dollars between all accounts off the dividend accounts about sixty five hundred. So to replace the rest of my income for the year, I need to make about twenty thousand dollars if I were choosing to live off my portfolio. Yeah, it's interesting. And and where do you pull all this data from to put into the spreadsheet? I pull it off of my Charles Swab account. I'll just log in there to see how much the dividend they're paying is, what the payment dates have been, or I'll Google what the payout dates are. As far as my numbers for the finances, uh, I generally create a budget at the beginning of the year, and then I set so much money that goes into my checking account, and then the rest of it goes to my savings. So whatever goes in my checking account is all I get to have. I'll put it, if I save $2,000, or it's about $3,000 a month, maybe 1000 will go to my savings account, 2000 goes to my swab account, and then at the end of the month, if nothing came up, I write myself a check and then reinvesting the extra money and then keeping a safe amount in there for about a year's worth of living expenses right now and just keep working off of that. 
Oh, that's awesome. I appreciate you sharing that. So you mentioned earlier that you have a daughter and that you have done some things to, to try to help her learn more about finances. What are those things and strategies have you utilized to, to help her? Yeah, so I've been very open with her about money. So I had her at an early age and we did everything that we could to give her the best of everything. And I kind of fell in love with the idea of providing generational wealth. So I've had serious conversations with her about, you know, the money that I have. If she can't save and show me that she can save money when I retire, this will all go to charity. Um, so I've already told her that I already know what charity I'd go to. So I was born with two club feet and a dislocated hip. So I walk, um, with a big limp and Shriners Hospital has helped me to be able to walk. Um, I wasn't even supposed to be able to do that. So I had several corrective surgeries until I was about five years old to be able to get me to where I'm at now. So I'm very thankful for that. So one of my goals has always been as I reach this fire and hopefully retires, there's gentlemen that used to drive me back and forth and um, to Chicago for my appointments and take care of me that way. So my parents could still go to work or they could ride with them. So that's one of the goals that I have is during this downward time and hopefully reaching financial independence that I can give back in a way that people gave back to me when I was so young. So I try to break everything down to my daughter and let her see the impact of it. So I have about a thousand dollar account in my Charles Bob account where every quarter I try to show her like how fast it's growing. And I just put a small amount in there, but to get her excited. And one of the things that I told her is when she gets a job at 16 or whenever she chooses um, until she's 18, I will match dollar for dollar, whatever she would do to put up into a Roth IRA because I want her to get excited about saving and investing money. Um, I really want to change generational wealth throughout my family, but I want it to be changed with not just having a trust fund child or whatever it may end up being, but truly having them understand how important money is and how much freedom it provides and a safety net of security for them and their family in the future. Yeah, that's pretty remarkable. You you know, you talk about the, the difficulties you had growing up with walking and not, you know, not being told not, that that wouldn't be an option. And now you're a retail store manager, probably on your feet most of the day. I mean, how, how did that come about? So originally, my plan was to be a uh, computer technician. So where I live at, there's a bunch of trailer factories in the area, um, RV factories, things like that. So they used to have computer technicians that worked on site. So I was going to study to be an A-plus certified technician and just wanted to get a job doing that. Uh, 08, 09, that industry kind of crashed. They started uh, contracting all that work out. So during that time, my ex-wife was going to school. So I just started working in retail because that's what I'd done previously. Um, she finished school. Uh, didn't really have any intentions of wanting to be a manager. It just kind of fell in my lap as an opportunity. I took a chance on it did it. I uh, kind of fell in love with being able to like help people reach goals and see things in themselves that they couldn't see. And I felt with the way that I'd walked, I gave myself an ability to inspire people and motivate people on a different level. Uh, one of the things that I was very known for is my work ethic. And I just, I didn't like anyone slacking off. So if I see somebody slacking off, it'd kind of be a joke like, man, are you going to let me outwork you? I'm your boss. And, you know, a lot of people would just buy into that. And they did a lot for me. I've had a lot of good people that have worked for me over the years. And I've been very appreciative of that. But the biggest reward that I've had is seeing people grow into different individuals and reach different levels that they never thought they'd reach. And I think that passion really grew for me from the boss that I had because 
you know, he took a lot of time to invest in me, not only as an employee, but on a personal level to make sure that I would be, you know, in the best position of my life that I can be. So a lot of lessons from him came as like a father and a great employer as a boss too. Yeah, that's awesome. Were there there one or two main things that that you could share that have been either piece of advice that he passed down to you or or that you would share with our listeners that have helped you be successful? Uh, I think the biggest thing is you just talked about the lifestyle creep to me. And then the point of just not having to worry about certain bills. So I bought a brand new vehicle and I've been driving that vehicle for probably eight or nine years now. And he had bought a new, but he'd always paid with cash and he just drove until the wheels fall off. Um, so one of his biggest things was pay off everything that you can pay your house off as fast as you can. He was very big about not having debt and then just getting your money to work for you. So I think that was one of the biggest things is just understanding that debt was not good. He said like a house payment would be fine, but no other debt was acceptable. And then the biggest thing was like pay yourself first, right? Give yourself a set amount of money where you're going to have and invest the rest. And then every year when I got a raise, he told me don't even count that raise, just roll into your 401k or roll into your stock market account. So Every year, I've just rolled that to my 401k until I reach the maximum distribution every year. And then the rest just rolls over to my Charles Schwab account. Oh, that's awesome. So do your friends or, or colleagues know of your wealth at all? Uh, some of them do. Um, if somebody talks to me about finances, it's really hard for me to stop talking about it because I just want to hear people's story and like see where they're at in their journey and see if there's anything that I can do to help them. But there's a very small amount of people. It's not something I... I generally talk about a lot unless somebody brings that conversation up to me um, just because it's such a not a popular topic among some people, you know, to think you're bragging or, or however it may be. But really, my interest is more along the lines of helping people. So if somebody brings it up to me, I'll listen to what they have to say and then make the decision if I'm going to share where I'm at or not or just listen to what they have and throw little tidbits out here or there um, just to keep the privacy of it there and the respect. Yeah, totally. What about your family? Do they know? Uh, my family knows. I tell them like my parents and stuff like that. My grandparents and my grandfather lost him in November, but I used to talk to him all the time. And he'd just be amazed at how frugal I would be in the roundabout way. And he'd always tell me, you know, hey, don't forget to live life. Don't forget to live life. But at the same time, very happy with the accomplishment that I was making and the sacrifices on a plan because I literally said I was going to reach this amount at this time and I'd end up doing it or now I've had the freedom to be able to pay my house off. Um, but I've just chose to keep that cash so that way I can keep throwing it in the market. So it's been very interesting. That's an interesting thing you bring up about paying off the house. Why have you chosen to, to continue to put that in the market and, and keep cash versus paying it off? For me, I mean, the market gains are there that I could potentially make more money. So I'm sitting on enough that I could pay my house off right now. But it's also the um, the freedom that if something were to happen or unexpected expenses, um, I have enough cash right now to pay off what the balance of my house is and then still have about a year's worth of living expenses. So it's also gave me a peace of mind, too. If the market dips, it does not hurt me at all to go write a check for as much as I think I can afford to go put money back in. And then if it falls down the next week, I got more money to keep throwing back into a certain amount. So it's kind of gave me a balanced peace of mind that if a buying opportunity comes along, I'm ready. But it also gives me stability at night that I can sleep and not worry about bills. Yeah, totally. How have you figured out what that optimal amount of cash is to, to keep on hand? 
for me, I probably keep a little bit more on hand just because the way that I walk, if something were to happen to me, I could be out maybe a little bit longer than the average person. So I keep about nine months worth of living expenses in there. But there's been times if the market dipped down that I would throw more in there and get it around three months. But I probably feel the safest with around six months. It was just probably a little bit more than what most people need. Um, but that's just where I feel comfortable at. Yeah, totally. How have you managed, you know, saving, investing, being frugal versus living life and maybe spending a little bit more as you've gotten, you know, grown income and everything? So I buy things that matter to me. Like I've not gone on a vacation and since I was like 15, my family took me on a vacation besides like I went to a UFC fight once on a weekend. I spend things that bring value to me. So during the time of my divorce, uh, me and my daughter used to watch Hell's Kitchen every night. So one of the things I'm really big on is just investing in stuff to cook. I'm passionate about cooking. She loves cooking with me. So even at her young age to being a teenager now, it's one of the things that we love to do together. So whether it's barbecuing or cooking in the kitchen, it's just something that we enjoy to do together. That's awesome. So Justin, I want to move into to some rapid fire questions. What's the most expensive pair of pants you've ever purchased? Probably 50 bucks for a pair of jeans. Most expensive pair of shoes? Uh, probably around a hundred dollars for tennis shoes, work dress shoes. I've probably bought up to around one hundred and thirty, one hundred forty. What about the most expensive vehicle? Twenty-two thousand dollars. I bought a Ford Focus. Dang man, frugal, frugal, aren't you? That's awesome. Yeah. What What about the uh, most expensive dinner or meal out you've paid for? So I paid two hundred fifty dollars for a steak at Prime and Proper in Detroit for my thirtieth birthday. As for my whole meal for myself, a bunch of my friends made a joke about us not actually going because I wouldn't spend the money. And I was like, yeah, I'll go because uh, I was really interested in how good the food would be. So 250 Was it worth it? Oh, absolutely. It was worth the experience. It was almost uncomfortable about how fast they'd come and wipe your table down and everything. I wasn't used to that. But it was definitely worth the experience and the experience to see them go with us. That's awesome. We covered this a little bit, but what, what's been your, your rough annual household spending? The annual for me has probably been around one hundred fifty thousand, or not one hundred fifty thousand. Uh, my annual spending is around thirty thousand. In range of household income, uh, probably about one hundred fifty thousand. You got great income. That's awesome. And what is worth spending the more money? You mentioned cooking. Is there anything else? Um, I have vacation, so like I'm really big on a nice TV and video games and surround sound system because. Usually when I come home from work, that's how I want to unwind, just playing a video game or watching a movie. Um, traveling, I know, is something that I really want to do. So I've kind of got some things like I'm either going to pay the house off or I'll reach a net, another net worth milestone that I'm going to start going on some trips. So that's something that I've already told myself. Where do you want to go? Uh, I want to go to Vegas. I know there's a lot of restaurants out there. I think that'd be really fun and interesting. Florida, Disney World. I want to go check out just the exhibits and stuff around there. And then uh, I'd like to go to Kentucky, Tennessee area again, go head up some uh, whiskey distilleries and stuff like that. And what's not spending or what's not worth spending the money on? Man, I don't, I don't buy expensive clothes. I don't buy, I mean, I, I don't spend a lot of money. I mean, I'm pretty basic. If a t-shirt costs under $10, I'm good with getting it. I just wear plain basic t-shirts, different colors. I mean, I'm not a, a big spender on, on myself, I guess. Are there any books? I know you mentioned a couple earlier or products that you highly recommend. Uh, I use personal capital a lot. A book that I would really, nobody's ever read it before. It's called the compound effect. 
by Darren Hardy. That book probably changed my life throughout the divorce and just helped shape my mindset around money and the things that I wanted to do. So that book for me, I've read probably three or four times um, and it helped kind of reshape my life on understanding that compounding effects go on just beyond money. Awesome. Just to wrap up, what what mistakes and couple that with advice that, that you've made that you would give to, to somebody who's just starting out or, or, or just beginning their journey? Uh, it's really easy to just want to jump in and start buying things. I think the biggest thing is if you don't understand individual stocks or understand how to pick them, I was chasing yield um, for a while trying to get monthly pay and dividend stocks. I think the biggest thing is just slow down, take a breath, put it into an index like VO, just relax and kind of find some stocks that you really want to own and understand them or it could cost you a lot of money. Awesome. That's Justin with a net worth of $500,000. Thanks for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mantinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.